Sets up in Gretzky's office. Kindle having a look at him. Saucer pass in front. Scores! Tim Schauer catches the pass from David Krejci and puts Boston ahead. Florida with some good attacking zone time here. Aaron Ekblad to the half boards. Yager comes off the wall. Pesic bumps it down. Ekblad holds, gives to Yager. He scores! Yarmir Yager ties it midway through the second period. He come in. The Monday morning out of time again. Bergeron the shot off the Matheson wide. Hostanok scores! Bergeron the quick feed. And Boston answers with 3.23 to go in the second. Smith, Bergeron into Smith's check in the shot and a goal by Barkov. Florida has tied it. The Bruins can't handle the puck in their own zone and Florida opportunistically has come back to even it up. Check Colin Miller pitches down on him. Sporter to Krejci with Pesic in his own crease. Now Krejci throws it in front but couldn't get much on it. Sporter the shot scores! right across the goal mount. Matheson hard along the line. The goalie goes to the bench as Luongo vacates. And Rask can't get down for it. Jason Demers has tied it with a buck and a half to go. Keep it knocking, but you can't come in. Keep it knocking, but you can't come in. Carlos switches with Pasternak. Krejci comes out of the corner. Pasternak, who's gone all the way to center ice, goes right in. David Pasternak wins it for Boston. 4-3 in sudden death. Six down five. Jonas Directo. Jonas for bonus. The three ball. My man. <laughs> Next Celtics possession. This time it's Al Horford. Had a great game for the most part, but wasn't flawless. Part of a 19-2 run. Fourth quarter, Celtics up six. Marcus Meyer wants the button. This is Jimmy that Get that shot out of here. And he doesn't just swat out. He bends him back like a pretzel on Montrez Harrell. Later in the fourth, tie game. Trevor Ariza finds Montrez Harrell. Uh, can't let slam. that happen. Can't let that happen late in the game like that. There clearly was some miscommunication there. So this is how Harden can beat you in so many ways. Ooh. Off the dribble, draws the contact. Three ball, puts him up five. Game out of hand. Not so fast, my friend. Not at all. Avery Bradley, they roll it two, they look at it. Upon review, what is it? Down and eight in the gun luck. Flanked by the back from the 23 of the Jets. Looks into the nickel. Pops his arm, throws a wobbly pass down the middle. It's a back pedaling, falling down, chest high, heavily covered touchdown catch. Allen, the tight end, for a third time tonight. And the Colts go up before halftime, 23 to 3. Andrew Luck is just tossed. His third touchdown pass tonight. And Kevin, they beat the rookie Darren Lee out of Ohio State. Now this kid is going to be a really good player in the years to come. 
He's just a rookie, and sometimes he finds himself out of position. This is a great catch by Dwayne Allen, and it is clearly a back shoulder throw, but, you know, Darren Lee has him covered perfectly, and that ball was perfectly thrown where Darren Lee could not get his hands on it. It's unfortunate for Lee, and a great night for Dwayne Allen continues. And welcome to another edition of Stretch Run here on ESPN New Hampshire on a Tuesday, December the 6th. Jimmy Murphy, your host here. Timmy Button's working the boards. And, well, I, uh, I, I sent Timmy a request for clips, and I, I did not think that we would have to uh, have uh, Red Sox involved in that. But, man, have the Boston Red Sox been busy today. Wow. What a day. The second day of the baseball winter meetings and the Red Sox pretty much address what I felt going into the season. I think many felt going into the offseason was their biggest need, and that was pitching. And they do it not just in the starting rotation, but in the bullpen as well. First this morning, the Red Sox go out and acquire a reliever, Tyler Thornburg from the Milwaukee Brewers, in exchange for third baseman Travis Shaw, right-handed pitcher Josh Pennington, Short, shortstop Mauricio Dubon, a player to be named later, or cash to the Brewers. So Tyler Thornburg coming to the Red Sox, a highly touted, highly coveted relief pitcher, as of now will be a middle reliever, and I will we'll get into it later. I wonder if maybe that was a little too much to give up for him. I will ask Lou Merloni about that later when he joins us at 445 to discuss that and the other trade which can only be described as an absolute blockbuster. And maybe when all is said and done and the offseason is over and teams are reporting to spring training, could be the trade of the 2016-17 offseason in Major League Baseball. The Red Sox get the most coveted starting pitcher on the market from the Chicago White Sox, left-handed pitcher Chris Sale is coming to the Boston Red Sox and his his costume, his outfit, his uniform is already being fitted to him. They will be cutting off the sleeves. Uh, He has his own custom scissors now with Red Sox emblems on them. No, just kidding. But you know what? People talking about that. Can people forget a bit about the negative stuff for once? Let's just look at the trade right now. The Red Sox just got the biggest, the best pitcher available on the trade market in Chris Sale from the Chicago White Sox today. In exchange, they send third baseman Yoan Mankata, right-handed pitcher Michael Kopik, outfielder Luis Alexander Basabi, right-handed pitcher Victor Diaz to the, Red, to the White Sox. I mean, people might say, oh, they shouldn't have given up on Mankata. He's going to be a young, he's a young and up-and-coming star. He's going to be a stud. Maybe. But if we saw anything last year in the playoffs, the Red Sox' biggest need was starting pitching. It fell apart. And now they got a guy in Chris Sale who, yeah, he's got attitude. Yeah, he's got an edge. Yeah, he might be a jerk. But you know what? I think that's going to come in handy in the playoffs. What do you think, Tim? 
the 226 innings will come in handy April to September. Oh, I like this acquisition. I really I do. I love it. Yep. I love it. Because you know what? This takes some pressure off the pacifists. Yes. I'm referring to David Price. Mm-hmm. Off the, oh, shucks. So now he can just say, oh, shucks, and we're not going to get that mad. We're, we're, we're not, it's not going to bother us. Because you know what? If there's an old shucks, oh, guess who's pitching next in the rotation? Chris Sale. Or maybe Chris Sale's pitching ahead of him. Who knows? But right now, you look at the Red Sox rotation as it is. It is arguably the best in Major League Baseball. You have the reigning Cy Young Award winner in the American League, Rick Porcello. You have David Price and Chris Sale. Maybe Clay Buckholtz. I mean, who knows? But right now, that's a good, solid top three, Tim. And I, I don't think there's many teams that can compete with that. Everybody's got their little binky taken care of. The proverbial, we should do this with every manager, has been done. 2018's been picked up. Which means you can fire him in May. And he has plenty of money on the contract unless he goes somewhere else. But that's what gets guys to pay some attention to the manager. He's never lame duck. Give him always... Not the season you're playing, the season after it, if you can. And I got to tell you, I'm a I'm a big XM radio fan. Mm-hmm. I'm uh, a big Brewers fan, mm-hmm. and this guy's ball sinks. I mean, it just. You're talking about Thornburg. Yep. Oh yeah. And so I got no problem. I, I original reaction I heard from people early today. Oh, hey, how good can you be? You pitch for the Brewers. Yeah, the Brewers overall stink. I realize beyond Ryan Braun yeah, they and a stink couple because they're they're but this low, ain't this guy ain't small the reason. Team. Right? Yeah, they don't spend the money to win. That's right. why they stink. They have plenty of great scouting that bring in great prospects. The problem is they always trade them away before they can win there, and that's what they might have done here. And and may I add, this is what they thought they had gotten rid of when Sealing's daughter was running it. There was a Sealing. Of about eighty million a year. <laughs> <laughs> then this guy from New York bought the team, and they move into Miller Park, and everybody's thinking, "Wow, at least we'll be doing one forties, one thirties." He's cut payroll. He reminds you of, you know, who's the latest owner in Houston? Although they have improved. Yeah. The latest owner owner in Tampa Bay. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. There are these guys that have come in that aren't the local small car dealer in town. And everybody thinks they're going to start spending money like the Phillies and the Yankees and the Red Sox. No, the Brewers don't spend any money whatsoever. Well, I mean, you can't see that. You gotta you gotta be able to afford the guy that comes down the uh, tube into the barrel of beer. I mean, that's more important Bernie, than Bernie players. Brewer. Yes. Yeah, that's more important than putting players on the field there. But Come there's on. seven or priorities eight, here. But there are seven or eight good to above average players. This was one of them. Yep. And he's here now. And, Thank you. And you know what? Craig Campbell, you're going to have to look over your shoulder now. That closing job mm-hmm. isn't yours anymore. And it shouldn't be. I, I think this is great. It's a challenge to Craig Campbell because he, he did not deliver last year. Down the stretch when they need him most, he choked. He choked a lot. And, uh, you know, now he's got that. I mean, we don't know. Is Koji Hara coming back? Do we know that yet? We don't know it firmly, no. Okay. But still, if he comes back, you never know. Tazaro will be gone. But you got look at the rotation. You got Porcello, Price, Sale, Wright, and then maybe Buckholtz. We'll see, or maybe Kelly goes back in there. Who knows? 
uh, maybe Pomerantz. Who knows? But right now, that's a pretty solid rotation. And as you and I were discussing on my way up on the phone, what wins in October is pitching. That's all that matters to me. It's, it, it's the name of this particular game. You can is rack pitching. up all the runs you want. You can break all the offensive records you want. You can hit as many home runs as you want throughout the season. I don't care. I mean, it's great if it helps you get to the playoffs. That's great. But when it comes down to the playoffs, I want pitching. I'm like anybody else. I sat in front of a big screen TV with about two dozen guys, and you could see in the eyes of Mr. Price the same fear you saw when Michael Spinks fought for the heavyweight championship. Like, oh, this fight shouldn't start. Oh, look at this guy. You could see that on the big screen TV. It's like, oh, he just isn't made for the big moments. In a given year, Jimmy, they all use 16, 17 pitchers. If you get enough injuries, it it runs into the 20s. The fact that we're naming, well, this guy could start, this guy could start, this guy, and they're all guys that have already started, that's pretty good. We didn't run out of names after four. Yep. They're all guys who, I've not only seen them start, I've seen them start at Fenway. There's four established starters that have had very good seasons. One of them, though, continues to choke in the playoffs. But there's a zillion reasons why this move makes a ton of sense why both moves make a ton of sense and there's not many why it doesn't you and can you can fall in love with your prospects yep as much as you want but yep. that doesn't win world series here yep. and this is a win now city this isn't milwaukee this is we're not building for the future here this isn't you know like you said a small market city this is a big market city and it's damned if you do damned if you don't if no two- matter what he's going to get criticism but right now i applaud dave Dombrowski. yeah if two people Besides Poppy had been walking out the door. Let's say Pedroia had had an injury or somebody else just, I've had my 10, 12 years, I want out. Okay, maybe you'd say you're going to rebuild. You're going to, not in Boston, baby. That's why these moves are made. We don't rebuild. Yep. We do send future all-stars for Larry Anderson. Yeah. But here's the key. They won it with Larry Anderson that year. That's the one thing about the poor late Lou Gorman. He got criticized for he had traded away an all-star. Yeah, onto a team that still played below 500 baseball while we were winning the American League East. Thank you for making the trade. Yeah. And I like these moves. I particularly I like these Sale. Moves. I really do. Yeah. I think he's got an edge that's going to help here. Yeah. You know, and uh, I, I think that they should hire um, Steve Buckley. You know, he does the, the old-timers game. I think Steve Buckley should design his uh, his throwback uniform if they so need, and and make uh, Chris Sale happy. We'll so we'll we'll get Buck on maybe to talk about that sometime. But we will have Lou Maloney on uh, with reaction to the Red Sox moves today. Uh, we'll get to him in the second hour at the end of the second hour at four forty five. Before that, we'll have our regular four, first hour guests on a Tuesday on in the next segment, fresh off a sweep of their rival UMaine. They beat him at the Whittemore Center in the whiteout at the Wit on Friday, and they went up to Orono and beat him again. The UNH Wildcats uh, with a big two wins over the weekend against UMaine, and on to talk about that in the next segment is Coach Humili. And then we'll continue to talk college hockey to close out the first hour. Bob Snow of NHL.com and BruinsDaily.com joins us in the second hour. We'll talk some Patriots with Zach Cox of Nesson.com. And some Celtics with Jeff Hickman of ESPN and H.com. And, of course, 
a regular contributor and host of the Celtics pregame show on, here on ESPN New Hampshire. And then, as I said, we'll finish things off in a second hour with Lou Merloni. Get reaction on the trades. In the third hour, it'll be all hockey for you. Rich Seeley makes his regular appearance on the stretch run at 5.05. Head coach of the Manchester Monarchs. And then we will finish things off talking to Ty Anderson of WEEI.com and get reaction to the Bruins' win over the Florida Panthers and look ahead to their game in Washington tomorrow against Alexander Ovechkin and the Washington Capitals. So we've got a jam-packed show. And it, it, like I said, it, it, it was packed, but now it's jam-packed because we had to add another guest on uh, in Lou Maloney to talk some baseball. But it's always fun to have Sweet Lou on. He's, uh, he's a great guest and gives great insight. Looking forward to his reaction to this. I think he's going to like it. What I don't think he'll like is the option being picked up on Farrell. But like we said, it's just procedure. It doesn't mean that they can, right. you know, they have to keep him and they're locked into him. They can fire him and they've got the money to pay him while he's out of work. I, I actually can't think of a case in the last 10 years where anybody did it. You know, they sort of knew this was it for the manager, but they wouldn't extend him. They always extend him. They always Because, look, this is the most basic thing. You don't need to know CBAs or anything else. If you go and get another job, I don't owe you the money. So I don't care if they give him a five-year extension yeah. as long as he goes and becomes somebody's pitching coach or a manager or something somewhere because then, oh, well, you got yourself a job. Exactly. <laughs> I'm off the hook. Yeah, exactly. And you don't want that whole sitting duck attitude or you know thing hanging around him. So, uh, you know, it is what it is. But the Red Sox, very busy today. We'll get to that later in the show with Lou Maloney. Uh, we're going to talk some college hockey, though, coming up here in the next two segments. UNH head coach Dick Humilio joins us, and then Bob Snow of NHL.com here in the stretch run on ESPN New Hampshire. And by the way, little little Richard coming in there. Uh, Tim pointed out to me, and we'll have some right now as well. Uh, and I saw it last night. I realized it that it was his 84th birthday yesterday. So uh, Tim suggested we play some a belated happy birthday to little Richard from the stretch run in ESPN New Hampshire. We'll be back. From your rival, Maine, uh, how did that feel? Well, it was awesome, and it all started out on Friday night here, white out the wit. Uh-huh. Best crowd that we've had uh, in, in, in years with this, the whiteout. It was a great atmosphere, uh, a good win for us, and then I went up to Orno. Uh, I don't know if it was a similar uh, numbers, but the atmosphere was um, always uh, great up there. We had a great weekend winning both games, four big points. You, give us a setting, like paint, paint the setting for us coming into this past weekend. You know it's always uh, fun playing them. You know it's a rivalry. You know the kids are amped up for it. But in terms of the immediacy of it and, and where you are in the standings right now, um, how do you approach it? Do you, do, you, do you tell them, hey, listen, don't get too excited for it because it's humane? Or uh, how do you keep them even keeled, so to speak? Well, you know, obviously it's uh, it's hard not to get excited. I mean, we we're all excited about it. It's a big rival. Uh, we know that, but you you have to approach the game with uh, great and uh, obviously anticipation, enthusiasm. But during the game, you can never get too high, never get too low. It's a sixty-minute hockey game, mm-hmm. uh, and you know you try to win every shift, and hopefully the outcome is uh, in our favor uh, each night. Yeah, and I mean that's the thing, right? I mean you have to be careful of that because. Um, I, I just know from playing sports, like when we would play our rivals, 
uh, it just takes it to another level, and then sometimes you almost uh, you get too excited, you lose track of what the the task is at hand. So it appears they did a good job of that. Uh, let's look at Friday first, Coach. What was the difference on Friday to you for this win? Well, I think it was uh, you know the, the way we uh, especially teams were were good over the weekend. Our power play uh, end shot hand, uh, I thought we handled those well. Uh, but we played with, uh, I thought, great pace and, and speed, especially here Friday night, um, and, and really took control of the game. Uh, it was 2-1 to one going into the third period, uh, and I think we just took the game away, uh, you know, with staying with the, with the game plan, uh, you know, I, again, not getting too high, uh, not getting too excited, uh, but, you know, continue to play with pace and, and playing well defensively, and I thought that was the difference in the weekend. And cool. Taroni in, in goal was, uh, consistent. He'd make a big save whenever we needed one. Uh, when they were trying to get back into the game, he, he shut him down. All right, you, you beat me to it. I was just going to bring him up because what I had heard was I didn't see the game, but from reading about it and then talking to some people, it, it was that type of game where there were times where they started to tilt the ice a bit and, and he just tilted it right back at him, huh? No doubt. And especially on Saturday night at Maine. Uh, you know, we, we went ahead three to one again in the third period. It was two to one going into the third, and uh, they had some some a lot of pressure on us. He kept us uh, in the game. Uh, you know, they got back uh, three to two. We went ahead four two, and again he made some huge saves, uh, not putting them uh, into the game. Uh, you know, in, in the middle of the period, they, they got one at the very very end to make it four to three. But uh, he was the difference on Saturday night for sure. Not that he wasn't on Friday night. Uh, but it's a tough place to play. I thought the team handled the, uh, you know, the atmosphere and uh, everything about playing up and on is, is difficult. Uh, you know, we knew going in there was four big points out there for Hockey East, and we know how difficult it is uh, in the standards of Hockey East. So going into Christmas, uh, we're in good position in Hockey East, uh, and now we've got uh, our rival, uh, you know, interstate rival, uh, Dartmouth. Saturday night to end the uh, first half and Christmas break. I hate. Just go back to you talking about these games. We're talking about momentum in game there, and, and when you, you you notice, you can feel the other team pushing and having a surge there. You've got a young team, and that's something we focused on throughout our talks here this season, and how they've developed and how they've reacted to different situations. How have they progressed throughout the season in your eyes in terms of the, that situation right there where you can just feel another team picking it up, you know they're going to come at you with a surge, and you know it could switch the game the other way. What's been your thoughts on how they've matured in that respect? Well, just the fact that they've now you know, played a, almost a, a half season uh, and played in some, uh, you know, whether it was at Boston College, whether it was at uh, Madison Square Garden, with uh, you know, against a, a really good uh, Cornell team, great atmosphere. You know, those are experiences that uh, uh, that's how they become confident. That's how they uh, develop. Uh, you know, we put them out there killing penalties uh, late in the game, both Friday night and Saturday night. A couple of freshmen uh, forwards, along with uh, a freshman uh, defenseman. So, um, and they handled it well. So they've come a long way. They're, they're good hockey players and. Uh, halfway into the season, I think they're getting uh, comfortable, understanding that uh, you know what they need to do. And defensively is the is the area that uh, is the most difficult to pick up when you come in uh, as, a, as a freshman in this league because mm-hmm. of the competition. Uh, they've done that well, and and yet they're, they're scoring goals. You know, Van Riemsdyk scored a 
a big goal. Uh, you know, Grasso continues to be one of the top uh, freshmen in the country. Now, and we'd be remiss. And, and then Blackburn, Blackburn got two goals on Saturday night in Maine, obviously, yeah. uh, which was important uh, in us winning the game. So the, the freshmen have, have done a lot along with uh, Tyler Kelleher and uh, his line. Yeah, I was just going to say, I'd be remiss if I don't bring up Tyler here. Uh, what a weekend he had. I mean, it, it seemed like... He just decided heading into this, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna put the guys on my back here, and I'm gonna carry the load. And uh, he, if that was the case, he delivered, huh? No, no question. He's had a great first half. Hopefully, it continues. But uh, he, he's leading, you know, everybody in hockey East in assists and goals and power play goals. So he's having a fabulous uh, senior year, and uh, that line of uh, E. Salvaggio and McNicholas have uh, become a, a very strong line. Coach, uh, I want to look back last week. Uh, I think it was a day after uh, we speak. I, I want to say it was last Wednesday, if that, that was the 30th. Yeah. So it was last Wednesday. I had uh, NBC and TSN NHL analyst Pierre McGuire on. Now, you know, how Pierre, well, he covers the NHL primarily. I mean, this guy has always been a fan of uh, prospects and the amateur scene, and he has sons that play, and I mean, he's a walking encyclopedia of anything hockey, not just the NHL level. Um, so I had mentioned I was talking to him about Grasso, and I was asked, we were talking about college and prospects, and has he had a chance to see him? He hasn't yet. Uh, but he did have this to say about you, Coach. Actually, tell you, we were talking to uh, UNH head coach Dick Umilly earlier. And he oh, was telling- what, a great man. what a great hockey man. I've known yeah. Dick probably 35 years. I uh, spent a lot of times in different rinks with him around North America, and he has done a phenomenal job in terms of creating a great legacy uh, up at the University of New Hampshire. And uh, my boy was up there not this past summer, the summer before at the USA Regional Camp, and Dick's just built a phenomenal, phenomenal program he there. Really- right after Charlie Holt and everything the great Charlie Holt did, Dick's done a phenomenal job. Yeah. So, Coach, you must. Uh, how's that feel? Uh, that's uh, coming from him. That, uh, that 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 feels good. He's a great guy. He's a uh, great hockey guy. He's done a lot, uh, you know, he's at the NHL level, but he's done more for, for college hockey. He's always uh, promoting college hockey players, uh, whether it's the players or coaches. You know, he played at uh, St. Lawrence. He's a really good guy, and uh, obviously, as we all know, he's uh, one of the great uh, hockey analysts and uh, does a tremendous job. Uh, uh, again, and, and I, I say that being a college coach, he's always uh, – mentioning you know where they came from what college they played uh so he's done an awful lot for the college players yeah you know and it's it's interesting because i hear some people you, you know I, I don't know how much you're on social media but i have to because of my job and trust me i don't always like being on there because sometimes it's just quite annoying but uh you know you'll, one of the things that is annoying is the critics of pierre will always say why does he have to tell us about where this guy came and one this and that why does he have to tell us all these facts about these kids I don't think they realize how much that means to the kid, to the to their previous coach that coached him where, he, where he's talking about, and, and to anyone that's helped that kid along the way get to the NHL. And I, I think it's great that he that he has that knowledge and he expresses it on his broadcast. Don't you? Well, let me let me tell you what people don't understand. I mean, it's not only for, for the kid. I think it's great for, for hockey in general, for the NHL, for fans, yeah. and spectators. For them to come out there and say, you know, this kid played at this college and that college, you know, when the, when you're watching an NHL game, I think that's tremendous. And it's marketing 
uh, hockey in general. But, exactly. Uh, the NHL. I mean, uh, more guys should do that. I mean, that's what fans can relate to. Yeah. They're talking about the NHL, and you find out, yeah, he went to Harvard, he went to North Dakota or UNH. Uh, uh, I think it's tremendous, and, and I think that's what makes him good, not just because we're college coaches and uh, you know, guys that play in, in, in college, but uh, I think the NHL uh, needs that kind of marketing. I'm with you, and you know, I, I remember when I got to, uh, started to get to know Pierre uh, many years back. I mean, I've been in this business for about 15 years, so I'd say about 10 years I've really known him well now. And when I started to see that and, and have these conversations with him and just feel that knowledge he has, you know, I, I said to myself, that's what I got to do. And I, I got to take it upon myself to learn more about these, these players and their backgrounds and, and what drives them, what got them. And I'll tell you, Coach, when, when I would sort of drop these little tidbits in interviews, wh- you know, whether I'm talking to Patrice Bergeron or uh, I'm talking to Tuka Rask and I, I bring up a, a coach in Finland he had or, you know, or a college player, a former college player, Johnny Goudreau or something, I bring up something that happened at BC – they immediately open up. Like, right away, they're engaged now in the conversation, and it's like, oh, well, this guy took the time to learn what, what I'm about. I'm going to give him that attention now. And, and, and Pierre was right. It, it, it helps, and it, it's helped me in my career. So I don't understand how anyone could criticize that. I, don't, I just don't get it. Well, we, we have uh, people that are always critical. I mean, I don't know why they go out of the house. It, 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 <laughs> it, it, uh, but, you know, you can't, uh, you know, Bank it on that, because I, I will tell you, most people enjoy that, and that's what uh, Good. Uh, broadcasters and people like yourself uh, ought to do. I think it's terrific, and those would be the people that I would listen to. And on that note, Coach, before we let you go quickly, he's a li- he's before my time, uh, but what was it about Coach Holt that was so great, and, and how does it feel to, to take over after him? Well, it's, it's, it's quite an honor taking over him. He was uh, He's from my hometown now. Uh, oh, really? Wow. I'm a Melrose guy. Coach Holt got the job the summer after I had been recruited here. Ruby Orkman uh, was a coach that coached here at UNH that deserves an awful lot of credit. Uh, he really got Division One hockey going here at UNH, and then uh, he, he moved on to North Dakota. And then Coach Holt came in in 1969. 19, uh, oh, no, 1968 was his first year. I was a freshman here at UNH, and he got the job over the summer coming from Colby College. He became the legend here at UNH, and uh, but I knew Coach Holt. He was from my hometown. He was a great athlete that went to Dartmouth College, played football, hockey, uh, baseball. He was, uh, and he was a tremendous guy. One of the uh, real innovators of our game. He was doing things uh, with his teams that uh, you know people had never seen that the Europeans had been doing. And uh, he was a great guy to play for, and, and, a, and a gentleman. Uh, uh, like you, uh, you know, most people. He was mo- probably one of the most respected coaches in college hockey. Awesome, awesome stuff. We'll see. You can learn something here when you listen to Stretch Run. Thanks for our little uh, history yeah. lesson there. I appreciate it. Okay. Well, All thank right. you. And uh, if I don't talk to you, because we won't see you until after the holidays. Happy holidays. You as well, coach. And good luck against Dartmouth. Thanks, Jim. All right. Bye-bye. That's UNH hockey coach Dick Umilly joining us here on. The stretch run on ESPN New Hampshire, and as Pierre McGuire said, one of the great ones here in our in the college hockey business, in the hockey world, and we are privileged to have him on once a week. So a happy holidays to him and the Wildcats. Good luck against Dartmouth, and uh, we will have him on again after the holiday is done. We will stick with the college hockey in our next segment. We welcome on our good friend Bob Snow of NHL.com here in the stretch run on ESPN New Hampshire. Stay with us.
at 10 right here on ESPN New Hampshire. Streaming live on the ESPN New Hampshire radio app. little good Irish music from Belfast. That, of course, is Mr. Van Morrison. Arguably the greatest musician ever come out of Belfast, Northern Ireland. And the reason I play a little, uh, a little Van Morrison and Belfast-related music is because that's one of the topics we're going to discuss with our good friend Bob Snow, longtime college hockey writer. And uh, they recently held a college hockey tournament. Over in Northern Ireland in Belfast over the uh, Thanksgiving holiday, and Bob Snow is joining us now to talk about that. Bob, how you doing? I'm doing well, Murph. You know, I caught a couple of minutes of the last couple of shows, and for all of my life, I thought that little Richard, his name was Richard Little, must have done my dyslexia. <laughs> there you go, buddy. You learn. Hey, you learn something good about music every show on uh, on the stretch run here. And uh, Bob, have you ever seen Van Morrison live? You know something, Murph? You won't believe this. Okay, you won't believe this, but who's the guy that was the lead singer for uh, Light My Fire? Is that Which one was that? Oh, that's the Doors. That's Jim that's Morrison. That's the Doors. Jim Morrison. Would you believe I met Jim Morrison when I was a kid working at the Matthews Arena? What? And, yeah, Jim Morrison was there doing a, doing a concert. I didn't know him from the... I, I, I didn't know him from the Beatles at the time, I don't think, but anyway, he was doing a concert there, and he was in the lower confines of the arena, and I went down there when I used to clean the ice with the, uh, you know, pull the pins on the nets and do some goal judging. And there was Jim Morrison. And I had known that he was uh, you know, kind of a big shot in the world of rock and roll. And I got to meet him. He was a little crazy. He was actually off the wall, to be honest with you. And that, I think, leads to all the problems he had as a, you know, all of his drug problems and stuff. And ultimately did a man. But yeah, I met Jim Morrison when I was about probably 17 or 18. At Matthews Arena. Yep. Imagine yep. seeing the doors in a place like, wow. Yeah, imagine That's that. That's pretty cool. So one of my favorite songs, you know, and then, uh, Caught a bit of Dickie Millie's, just to segue quick, and, you know, I just want to give another kudos to Dickie Millie's team over the weekend. I mean, I always say I've been to most of the college hockey rinks, certainly in Hockey East and many around the country, and if there's one place you want to go for a college hockey game on the calendar, it's the Whiteouts of the Witch Night, and that was Friday night, and I think it's probably the most electric, you know, the most electric in-season hockey game of the season. That might even include the bean pot, is Whiteout the Wit, and hand it to Dickie Millie's Wildcats did a great job sweeping sweeping Maine five to one and four to three and and uh, hats off to Dick and the, and the gang. You know something? Yeah, before we move on from U and H there, but when I I got started talking to Dick on this show, you know, back in October, I mean, he made no qualms or you know didn't try to hide the fact that he really wasn't expecting much from this team. He looked at it as a uh, a down year, development year. He knew he had a really young squad there. And I gotta say, I mean, you can tell in his voice every week when he comes on, and I and and I myself have been really surprised at the way 
these young kids uh, on his squad have stepped up. I mean, they're now in the thick of that playoff race in the Hockey East. And, you know, it, it got me thinking, Bob, we, we look at the NHL right now in the way the young players are having immediate impacts when they come up and when they come in there. And obviously the salary cap ha- has an effect on that, that they're getting a chance earlier. But I want to get your take, uh, you know, what is it right now that's making younger players, freshmen, have such an impact uh, in the college hockey world? Well, you know, Murph, let me give you four very quick facts. First of all, uh, UNH was picked, I believe, eighth or ninth in the preseason Hockey East Bowl. So would you believe that they are 5-1-1 in Hockey East, I believe? Yeah, for first. it's unreal. And two of the major reasons are because of the freshman play, but also the senior play, this kid Tyler, Tyler Callagher. He had four goals over the weekend. Mm-hmm. He's top ten in the nation scoring. And would you believe the Patrick Grasso freshman kid is the leading freshman goal scorer in the country? Wow. Yeah, and you know, to answer your question, I think I think it's the feeder programs. I think the fact that the kids no longer come out of high school into college, they spend a year in prep school, or they play in the USHL for a year or two or three, or even four. And uh, Sean Walsh always loved to have 21-year-old freshmen. Uh, there's a whole different... Uh, yeah, Sean Walsh being, of course, the... The late great humane goal uh, coach who thrived on recruiting older players as freshmen, and I think the bottom line is that these kids come in as freshmen, but they're really not freshmen either chronologically and certainly not experientially. They are ready for the big time much more today than they ever 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 were before. Yeah, it's it's unreal, and you're right. I think it is. It's those those junior leagues too, right? I mean, we see how much hockey they're playing. And the other thing too, Bob, I think that helps them is you see them playing other sports as well. A lot of these kids, I notice, are playing soccer, lacrosse, and it can only help the the agility and the durability and, and just their shape when the season hop, uh, rolls around uh, for college hockey. Yeah, and I've probably talked to oh, a good 25 to 50 pros over the years about that level of commitment to a variety of sports, and they'll tell you to a one that the one thing you should not do with your kid is get them into one sport, become a monomania, so to speak, about focusing on just one thing. Yeah. Keep the kids involved when they're 15, 16, 17, into even a variety of sports aside from what they hope becomes the main sport. Yeah, for sure. Well, listen, Bob, as I mentioned there, coming in off the uh, Van Morrison song, uh, and I, I'll tell you our Van Morrison story another time. It's It, it could take a whole segment, but it, it's a good one. Uh, <laughs> we did. They did have the uh, the Friendship 4 tournament. was held Thanksgiving weekend in Belfast. Uh, Vermont, UMass, Quinnipiac, and St. Lawrence took, uh, took part in it. Uh, so how did it go, and uh, can we expect to see more of this? Well, you know, Murph, you know, the last couple of weekends have been two significant events in college hockey that I think the folks ought to at least know about with regard to the, 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 ever, ever, the never-ending evolution of college hockey becoming a big-time NCAA sport. I don't think it'll ever reach, it'll never reach the niche of, of football and basketball and probably not even baseball. But certainly college hockey is expanding, and this was the inaugural season for the, um, the Friendship Four, if you were in Belfast. There are 22,000 people at the games for both nights. They had 70 television networks throughout Ireland, the United Kingdom, Canada, and the United States. So that speaks heavily to the type of support it gets from the get-go. And you're right, there were four teams from, if you will, from the Northeast that played and Vermont won the tournament 5-1 to one in the Saturday night game, beating Quinnipiac. But it is planned for 2017 and 2018. The word is that they'll announce the four teams in January for the two, probably after the Fenway or the Frozen Fenway events. They'll announce the four teams for next year in Belfast. But it was sponsored, you know, anecdote, a little anecdote for you, you and I big NHL guys. 
anecdotally, it was sponsored by this Odyssey Trust, I guess, that owns the arena and owns the Belfast Giants. Mm-hmm. They're one of four teams in the Irish Elite League. And you'll never guess that one of the one of the big players for the Belfast Giants when it got going 10 years ago was none other than Theo Fleury. So Theo Fleury ended his playing career for the Belfast Giants in Ireland. Yeah, I remember that. And uh, I also remember that the Boston Bruins uh, played an exhibition against the Belfast Giants prior to opening the season in Prague. Uh, yep. And they were over there in Belfast. I remember that. And uh, Sean Thornton got to uh, visit his ancestors and uh, see his grandma. So, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a good little hockey history uh, starting to build there in that city. Yeah, and I think, you know, the whole point is I don't think that we look to grow college hockey uh, internationally, but certainly when there's an opportunity to open those doors, it's going to happen. Of course, ironically, Sean Thornton was in last night, signed a one-year extension with the Panthers. Hasn't played a lot, but he wasn't in uniform, played seven minutes last night. And Thornton is back in his uh, usual role is trying to help the younger guys and put a good face to the franchise and kind of keep playing as long as he can and then figure out what he's had. Rumors he's going to go into... Uh, the Panthers management at the end of this season. No, that's not. That's uh, definitely on the table. I can confirm he has an offer there, standing whenever he wants. They want him to become part of that. Now, that could change if Dale Talon leaves, which there's a good chance that happens with all the changes that have been going on in uh, in upper management there. But Dale Talon did already extend that to him. He said, "Look, I don't know if you want to play another year. We'll play you for another year, or if you don't, you can come join the management team." So. Uh, good for Thornton there, and it, you know, it, it's it, you see him and the leader he is. I mean, he's still well respected in that dressing room there, and I was happy to see him back on the ice last night. Yeah, you know, and he is, uh, you know, he he. Unfortunately, these guys, these enforcers, are the if you will, the old time guys who drop the club tend to get the perception, you know, that they're really not, you know, if you will, good guys. But he is one of the true blue good guys in the NHL, and when you talk to him, boy, I'll tell you, there aren't many better interviews than Sean Thornton. No, there isn't. He's a, he's a classic. Uh, Bob, let's uh, look now to, you mentioned the uh, the tournament there at MSG. Now, they had the college hockey showdown there between uh, Boston College and North Dakota, um, and North Dakota comes away with a, a, a 4-3 win, uh, and you said the winning, you wanted to go over the winning goal because it's a good story behind it. Yeah, it is. You know, this was a great hockey game. I only caught the, the, the third period, but, you know, you see games and they're kind of sleepers. You say, okay, let's get this one to the last buzzer and hang it up as a win or a loss. But this this game was played as most, I should say most, as all North Dakota BC games, probably the last 18 years since 1998 um, BC lost the national championship in overtime to Michigan. But in 2000, they lost the national championship. North Dakota, 4-2, to and then in 2001, of course, they won that tremendous game in overtime in Albany. They were down up up 2 nothing, and, and uh, North Dakota tied it with two goals in the last two minutes to, uh, to send it to OT, and Chuck Obersu won the game, which actually began the Jerry York era for real, and since then, of course, they won three more titles, I believe. But um, the college hockey showdown in Madison Square Garden, this is a great game. And as you mentioned, Murph, I think it was 2-2 going into the third period, and then North Dakota scored um, two goals, but the third goal, uh, the third goal, as it turned out to be the winning goal, maybe it was the fourth goal, I forget, but the, the goal that turned out to be the winning goal was scored by a, a guy named Trevor Olsen. He was, a, he was a junior, and he hadn't scored a goal in 56 games since he was a freshman. And he goes up with the winner in the college hockey showdown before a sold-out match with God. Wow. And they couldn't believe how many people from North Dakota. Would you believe North Dakota fans, I think, are probably among the best in the country, but 
there were almost as many suit jerseys as in the crowd as there were non-suit jerseys, traveling all the way from Grand Forks, North Dakota, to Madison Square Garden to watch the fighting Sioux or the Sioux, or as we call them now, the Fighting Hawks. There's so many different names, so that's a whole other conversation. Mm-hmm. But the uh, Fighting Hawks won the game, and the North Dakota falling was tremendous. So hats off to Trevor Olsen, and hats off to North Dakota for being such a great supporter of their hockey team. They in North Dakota have almost the same thing as Maine. You Maine hockey is kind of the one is the sport in Maine. Well, North Dakota hockey is definitely the sport in North Dakota. Oh, for sure. And, of course, you need to look no further than some of the players that have come out of there, like Zach Parisi or Jonathan Taves. It's been a factory of NHL stars over the years. Bob, always a pleasure, my friend. Uh, What do we have on the agenda coming up this weekend for college hockey? Well, I tell you, it's always a loaded schedule. But, you know, Murphy, we've got the big games now starting in hockey. But more important is the fact that we're going to get into a little bit of a lull now because we're coming into the... Uh, the vacation period, the Christmas vacation, the, I- the Ivy League, the East Gates, the Ivy team take almost a month off, if you will, pretty close to three weeks for exams. So the college hockey, uh, actually the scene starts to kind of settle down a bit. And then I think in a couple of weeks we'll talk about what we refer to as the second season, which starts on January 1st. One last comment we're up on the North Dakota PC series. They were 11-11-1 lifetime against each other. They played each other maybe 10 times in the last 15 years the NCAA tournament, and North Dakota takes the lead by one game. So, hats off to the Fighting Hawks, and great job as usual by Jerry York and the Eagles and Madison for the Garden. Good stuff, good stuff, my man. We'll talk to you next week, all right? Okay, buddy, have a great one, and uh, don't forget, it's Little Richard, not Richard Little. <laughs> for sure, my friend. That is Bob Snow joining us, talking college hockey as he does every Tuesday here in the stretch run on ESPN New Hampshire. We're going to switch gears, talk to Zach Cox of Nesson in the next segment on the Patriots. And what, how they will handle another injury to the receiving core in Danny Amendola. So stay with us. The Stretch Room will be back on ESPN New Hampshire. Change.